Your experience at Joy Church will be unlike any church service you have ever attended before. We are not about religion. We are about a relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. At Joy Church, you'll hear live and vibrant praise and worship music. You will be loved and encouraged. You will be confident that your children will learn about Jesus in a fun and safe environment. You'll be assured that your youth will be loved and accepted not only for who they are, but challenged to become who they were created to be. At Joy Church, God's Word is delivered through creative, humorous, and relative teaching that will help you apply the Bible to your life. There is a place here at Joy Church just for you, where you can begin to develop a vibrant and exciting relationship with Jesus Christ and discover your divine destiny. We are beginning a brand new series today called That's Not Fair. And I absolutely love the subtitle because it really is true. Learning being treated unfairly is actually your divine opportunity. Any in the, anybody in the house ever been treated unfairly? Now, I was treated unfairly by that response. Anybody in the house ever been treated unfairly? Have you figured it out yet that life and people are not always fair? I figured that out a long, but this is my 40th year of ministry. I figured that out a long time ago. I always ask God about what I want to begin with, and I've got so many different stories uh, from my very, very different background. Those of you that know me, I've been in ministry now for 40 years. But 43 years ago, I was an alcoholic checking IDs at a bar before I met Christ. I think it helps me be a better pastor because I've been there, done that, lost the brain cells, now God is restoring them one at a time. Some of you would disagree with that, but I'm believing that. And I do have a very bad past before I met the Lord, and so you just have to forgive me. I remember, you know, at night it was a bar, and at night I, I checked IDs there, but during the day it was a relatively nice place for lunch. And so during the day I was a maitre d', much less sin during the day uh, for yours truly. And I remember just one day uh, being the maitre d', and in comes this woman, and she was very, very, very snooty. How many know what I'm talking about when I say snooty? Someone whose their nose is so turned up that if it rained, they would drown. And she came in very snooty, had a little bit of attitude right off the bat, you could tell. And she said, I want to sit there. And she was very demanding about it. She pointed right to a table by the window where a husband and wife and his two wonderful kids were midway through lunch. They were right smack dab middle in their lunch, and she wanted to sit there. And I thought she maybe made a mistake, and then she, I thought maybe over here. No, there. I said, well, ma'am, there's a family already there. There's customers there. They're in mid-lunch. They're already seated and enjoying their lunch. I know you don't want to do that. She goes, do you know who I am? And how many know when people ask that question, that's never good. <laughs> do you know who I am? And I said, no, ma'am, I, I don't. And she said, I am the wife of the half-owner of this establishment, and I want to sit there. Now, I thought to myself, as the wife of the half-owner of the establishment, that'd be the last thing you want to do, is chase off customers. So I said, ma'am, I can't do that. I can't move the customers. They're paying. They've been there for quite some time. So let me speak to a manager. All right. And I was really certain that my manager would have my back and back me up with common sense. 
But to my chagrin, he came over, they talked for a little bit, da 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 He went over to that table and moved that family. How many know that is not fair? I was incensed. Now, you're going to have to forgive me. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I was a heathen at the time, and so how I responded, I do not suggest that you do this at home. How many understand uh, that when I say I'm simply describing what I did, this is descriptive, not prescriptive. In other words, I'm describing what I did. I don't say that this is your prescription for success. How many understand of the Bible? There are certain things that are descriptive. David committed adultery, but that's not prescriptive for you. Thank you for your enthusiasm. And so I was very mad, very incensed. I had to make things right. At the time, this is many, many years ago, she had a very high hairdo. It was a bouffant. Remember one of those bouffant hairdos? Woof, like that, right? And it was, it was pretty high. And so I had a big old wad of gum. I can see you're ahead of me in this story. I had a big old wad of gum. I was a heathen. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. You quit looking at me with that holy look. I had a big old wad of gum, and she was about from me to you, and I just like Michael Jordan. And I popped that thing right in the bouffant, baby. I mean, it was a three-pointer at least. She had no idea because the hair was so high, she didn't even feel that going in. And I was so proud. It was lodged in there deep. And I went around to the waiters and waitresses and said, yeah, you got you to go buy a table, whatever the number was. And I, I, check out the gum in that woman's hair. I did that. I was so proud of my work because I was so mad at how unfair she was, but how, and I never got in trouble for it. No one ever, I can just admit, she never knew it. I imagine one day she went home and she probably found it in there. And how many know she probably had to use a whole jar of peanut butter to get it out? She's just shaking her head at me like, how and why am I here and why am I listening to you? I was before I met the Lord. I was not saved at the time. How many know life is not always fair. And if you don't believe that, we've got a lot of folks to give you a lot of statements to show you that life is not always fair. Check it out. Three, two, one. Sometimes you're the bug, sometimes you're the windshield. If life was fair, Elvis was to be alive, and all impersonators would be dead. Honey, you believed in Santa for eight years. You can believe in yourself for five minutes. One day, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. The next day, you're toast. You know, they say an apple a day keeps everybody away. I say it depends on how hard you throw it. Remember to drink water and get some sun. You're basically a houseplant with more complicated emotions. <laughs> this too shall pass. It might pass like a kidney stone, but it will pass. Love isn't fair. Love is a sprint. It's not a marathon, it's a relentless pursuit that only ends when she falls into your arms or hits you with pepper spray. Sometimes you're the pigeon and sometimes you're the statue. Oh, come on, clap just a little. Life 
is not always fair. People are not always fair. Let me give you a thought process, a life point as we journey into this series next couple of weekends to start out. Check it out. What to do. That's what this series is all about. When life or people are not fair, when you're treated unfairly, how many in the house have ever been treated unfairly? Or when you're rejected, anybody in the house ever been rejected? I get rejected every Sunday morning. I understand it very, very well. How many know when you're accepted by the best and that's God who cares about the rest? Thank you for the enthusiasm. Uh, how many have ever been criticized? Uh, listen, you Americans, you're going to love me because I'm going to tell you how to live a life where you're never criticized. You ready? You want to know this? Because Americans don't like to be criticized. So I'm going to tell you how to live a life ne to never, John, to never be criticized. Ready? Say nothing, do nothing, and be nothing. And no one will ever criticize you. But the moment that you make a stand for God is the moment you're going to be criticized. How many know it is the tallest trees that experience the harshest winds? Let me try that again. How many know it is the tallest trees that experience the harshest winds? Just because it gets your attention doesn't mean it deserves your attention. Criticism comes with the parking lot of leadership. It just comes with it. The Bible tells you and I in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You say, Pastor, I've been a Christian for 25 years and I've never been persecuted. Let me say it again. Those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Those that look and act like the world will probably never be persecuted. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 6 and verse 26, Woe unto them whom all men think well of. If everybody loves you, you're either a compromised Christian or you're Raymond. Everybody loves what a boring crowd we have today. Have you been disappointed? Maybe with the message so far. Disappointment occurs when we have mismatched expectations. You ever been going to a holiday, maybe Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever, you had a certain expectation, and then all of a sudden you got there and it was nothing like what you expected. Man, you had a big old fight about college football or politics or religion. Or we just took a whole bunch of folks on the mission trip. They expected to be here today, but instead they're coming home from Orlando. How bad can it be? They're not that far from Disney World. <laughs> so it's life is not always fair. People are not always fair. That's just how it goes. You ever been hurt? Come on, have you ever been hurt? Yeah, you ever been hurt at church? Of course, listen to me very closely. I, I have people say this all the time. Pastor, now I, I've been hurt at church before and I'm coming here and, and, and can, can you promise me at Joy Church that I'll never be hurt again? Listen to me, I will promise you the exact opposite. Listen to me, we, this is a very safe place with a lot of genuine people, but if you stay here long enough, you are going to be hurt at some time. Can I tell you why? Listen to me, why? There are people here. 
So anytime there are people and different personalities and perspectives and, and backgrounds and denominational backgrounds and political backgrounds, there's going to be some misunderstandings from time to time. And if you're always running from everything that hurts you, you are running from your own maturity. Now, I'm going to ask for your help today. You know why? Paula Goldner, Pastor Dave's wonderful wife, is part of our missions team who's still coming home today. She always tries to lead the claps in the house. She's an initiator of clapping because I pay her husband well. And she feels like if she claps a lot, I might pay her husband even more well. She is not here today to initiate the claps, so I'm going to have to count on some of you turkeys to help. Yeah, that, that helps. My wife tried a moment ago, come on, baby, you can do it. You can do it. She heard it yesterday. She knows what's going to happen already. So listen to me, folks. You're going to be heard. We, we, don't, we, we love you. This is a very safe place. We don't stay up all night thinking of ways that we can hurt you. We normally go to bed about 2 a.m. after we've thought of three or four. <laughs> I'm kidding. This is a very safe place, but it's a place where there are people and so life and people are not always fair. We have to understand that right off the bat. So let me give you some unfair facets. Let me give you some principles that we're going to be discussing in this series and how to overcome some of this unfairness from a New Testament believer's perspective. Let me give you some thoughts. Number one, being treated unfairly is actually an opportunity to reveal your Christianity. We're going to go a little bit mature today. This is not going to be maybe the most running around the building session. But please understand, the Word of God, ladies and gentlemen, is not just about self-empowerment. It's about self-denial. And I know a lot of American Christianity, you know, all the books that sell are kind of pop psychology and how you can be a better you. And please don't mistake me. I want you to understand if you follow the Lord, your life will be better and you'll become better at life. But I also want you to understand if you're really following the Lord, you are going to be treated from time to time unfairly. You're going to be persecuted if you're standing up for the Lord. And I'm telling you, in this hour, it's ratcheting up higher and higher. And most Christians are afraid of persecution. The church has always thrived when they are persecuted. The church has always become weak when everybody accepts them. So I'm not afraid of persecution at all. What do you say that in the midst of when everybody else is standing tall for perversion, that you and I stand tall for the Lord Jesus Christ in an unashamed way? The moment that you are ashamed, you are controlled. The moment that you are embarrassed, you are controlled. And Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. And I don't want anybody in the house to be ashamed. It's our opportunity when life is unfair to reveal our Christianity. Number two, and the second thought you need to know, when I respond like the world, when life is unfair, and I respond like the world, the world can't see the difference. And how many know with believers there ought to be something different about us? If at work you announce, hey, does everybody know that I'm a born-again Christian? And they all look at you and go, really? 
How many know, ladies and gentlemen, your life is not speaking as loudly as it should? There ought to be a difference in all of our lives. Look at number three, and it is true. Rejection can become a reflection. How do I respond when I'm rejected by people or life is unfair to me? How do I respond? It's a reflection of who I am. How many understand that the Bible within itself compares itself to a mirror in James chapter 1 and in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Ever see a mirror? That mirror in the Greek language is a Greek word that means a small handheld mirror. It's not a full-length mirror, and I'm so glad. That's the thing that I really love about God's Word. It's a small handheld mirror, and every time it is held up to us, it shows a small something that we need to fix. I'm so glad it's not a full-length mirror. Any, anybody in the house ever wake up in the morning and look at a full-length mirror and go, where do I start? <laughs> that is overwhelming all of the things that I need to fix. And the older we get, the more work that it takes. Oh, man, all the young people are awfully snooty today. <laughs> Listen to me very closely as I'm so glad. And that's the, same, that's the same way that I endeavor to preach. Even though I give you all kinds of points and subpoints, I recognize you're not going to remember everything that I share with you. Take home from every message, every Saturday, every Sunday, every Wednesday, take home from every message one or two things that that little mirror holds up to you that you need to work on. Because the mirror is a reflector. And who is it reflecting? It is reflecting the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I get up in the morning, that's the goal. I want to look into the mirror of God's Word, that handheld mirror, and little by little, I want to become more like Him. The Bible says in Romans 8, 29, that you and I have been predestined to be conformed to His image. You, you, Pastor, are, are you trying to tell me uh, that we're supposed to walk around trying to be like Jesus? I don't know what you're doing, but who are you trying to act like? Oprah? That is the goal of a Christian, a Christ follower, is to be like our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I realize we got a long way to go. I realize we're a work in progress. How many are a whole construction site? But the good news is you're at whatever level of the mirror that is showing you. And our goal, if my little hair is out of place, I can, if I can put it in place and be more like the Lord, then the goal is people see that mirror and they don't see me. They see a little bit of Christ, a little bit of Jesus. And they want what I have. They want what you have. Because rejection can be a reflection. When life is unfair or people are unfair and I retaliate or I get even, we're acting just like the world. Fourth thing we need to understand, this is what I'm trying to say, I want my life to be so attractive that people who know me but don't know God will want to know God because they know me. Shouldn't that be the goal of everybody in the house? That we reflect our Lord? I'm going to say it again. I want my life to be so attractive that people who know me but don't know God want to know God because they know me. I, when something happens, I, I don't want to freak out. I want to peace out. I, I, don't want to, I don't want to be all bummed out. I want to have joy. When, when everybody's just, I, I'm just fearful. I want to have faith. 
I want there to be something different. When everybody's out of control, I want self-control. When everybody's greedy, I want to be generous. I got the least amount of amens on that one. But when we are that way, we're reflecting our Lord. And now, listen, our life is speaking so loudly that we hardly even have to use words. Fifth thing that we need to understand is my reaction. This is so powerful. Reflects my confidence or lack thereof in God. When life or people are unfair, how I respond reflects my confidence in God or lack thereof. If I try to retaliate, if I got to get even, if I, if I got to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get you, I'm responding just like the world. But if I'm responding with love and with kindness, oh my goodness, I am reflecting my confidence in God to make this thing work out right. Now, now look at your pastor for just a moment, because I want you to really understand this. God, if anything, is fair. The Bible literally says that the foundation of his throne, Psalms 89 verse 14, is justice. God loves it when things are fair. Proverbs 11.1, 1, the Bible says that God hates an unequal balance, an unequal scale. At the time, commerce was done by scale, and it was on weights and everything else, and God hated it when it was unfair or someone tried to cheat somebody. You can get a principle from that. God loves when things are just and fair. And while they may not work out at every level here on this earth, but a whole lot will, I'm telling you right now, the good news is in eternity, all will be made just and all will be made fair. If you are an atheist, you are the most miserable person in the world because this is all there is. And if this is all there is, then Hitler gets away with it. God is fair. And he is just, but here's the key. When I take it into my hands when life is unfair or when people are unfair, I'm reflecting my lack of confidence in a God who wants things fair and just. And if I release this to him, I'm freed up to love and to go free. I don't have to be bitter. I can actually be better. Can we give God a better thanks? Sixth thing that you need to understand, my retaliation shows a lack of confidence in God's vindication. When I have to retaliate, and that's every movie, when I have to retaliate, when I got to get even, when I'm going to show them on my social media page, blah, 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 blah. when I got to do all of that, it shows, ladies and gentlemen, my lack of confidence in God's vindication. You may not understand this, but in Romans chapter 12, the Bible says that vengeance is God's. Vengeance is not mine. Vengeance is God's. He will repay. I don't have to repay. He will repay. And so here's my job, Romans 12, 21. Watch this now. I'm not overcome of evil. Nowhere am I telling you or the Bible telling you or God telling you that you are to be the devil's doormat and let life just run over you and people abuse you. I'm not telling you that in any way, shape, or form. But here's how we as believers respond. Romans 12, 21, don't be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. 
And when I give it to the Lord, I let the Lord have vengeance. I let the Lord create justice. I let the Lord vindicate. I let the Lord exonerate. The battle is his and not mine. I'm free to enjoy life. Helping anybody. This is powerful. This will help you mature. Look, look, at, look at number seven. There is a difference between protection and retaliation. Here's where your pastor gets very balanced. Here at Joy Church, if you hang around here long enough, you'll find out balance is a very important word to us. We rightly divide the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. And it's really key because the Bible is a book of balance. And if you find Christians that are wacky, they're imbalanced. Uh, the, the, the Bible is a really beautiful tug of war. For example, I've talked about this a lot. In John chapter 1, 16 and 17, the Bible says that Jesus brought both grace and truth. He's 100% grace and 100% truth. So there's a tug of war in the Bible. On one side of the word is the truth of God's word. On the other side of the word is the grace of God's word. And they are both equally true. If you get over here on all truth, you'll get into legalism. If you get over here on all grace, you'll get into license. If you stay in the middle and balance both, you'll have liberty. And that's what we're after. God is holy on one side. God is love on the other. God is good on one side. Romans 11:22. God is severe on the other. He is the light of the world. John 8:12. He is Hebrews 12, an all-consuming fire. It is his goodness that causes us to approach him. It is his greatness that causes us to revere him. And we must stay balanced. If you get into a ditch here or get into a ditch there, you'll be unbalanced. And this is the same thing I'm talking about. The Bible teaches two things simultaneously that keep us balanced. One, we're not to retaliate. But two, it's okay to have self-defense. It's okay to protect yourself. You see the balance. Let me explain this to you because I need you to, you're looking at me kind of funny. How many here in the house, you served in the military in some fashion? Lift your hand. Come on, lift your hand. Don't be, don't be ashamed. Come on, give them a big encouragement. <clears throat> Let me make you free today. A lot of you struggle uh, with disorders and so forth because of what you went through in the military. Let me help you with your freedom today. If you had to kill the enemy, I know that that's not easy. And as a believer, that's a difficult thing for all of us. Obviously, I'm not making, it's not trite. If you're a policeman here and you had to, to, had to self-protect, please understand, look at your pastor. The Bible is very clear that the Bible condones self-defense. There is never a time to murder, but Ecclesiastes 3 says there is a time to kill. What's the difference? Murder is the shedding of innocent blood. Killing can be self-defense. The Bible says about Jesus himself in Revelations 19 and verse 11 that he judges, watch this now, and makes war righteously. So if you served in the military, there is a righteous war and a righteous self-defending of your country. Can we give God a thanks for that? Let me continue to show you the balance. What did Jesus say in Luke chapter 22 and verse 36? He was leaving the earth, and he said, listen, guys, go ahead and buy a sword. Why did he say that? Because it's okay to have self-defense. 
uh, earlier in John 18, if you want to balance things out, don't you remember what happened? Uh, that here came Judas with the Judas kiss, and here came all the people to take Jesus to be crucified. And remember in John 18, it gives the account of Peter pulling his sword and cutting off a guy by the name of Malchus's ear. Do you remember that? And remember what Jesus said? Hey, put up your sword, Peter. But now over here he's saying, hey, buy a sword. That seems to contradict it, doesn't it? It's the tug of war that complements. What are you talking about? Here in John 18, this is for the gospel's sake. We don't need to retaliate. Jesus is going to the cross on purpose. The soldiers are coming to get him, but he's giving his life. How many understand when they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, and he said, I am. And how many know the whole group of soldiers fell over backwards? All Jesus had to do was say, I am, and he would have never been taken. This was not a murder. This was him willingly giving his life for us. And I love Peter. Peter reminds me of me or reminds me of Anthony or reminds me of some of you. He's got to, he, how many are, thank God for Peter, because we can look at that guy and go, okay, I got some issues too, so did he. <laughs> Peter was a fisherman, and here he is pulling out his sword trying to protect Jesus, trying to protect Jesus. That's funny. The guy that calms his storms and, and he speaks and everybody falls over backwards. And he's so poor. The, the swords that he had, those are Machairas in the Greek language are about this big. The swords that he had, he pulls it out and he's going for this guy. His name is Malchus. And he cuts off his ear. This is a fisherman. This is not a soldier. <laughs> could, could I have an Amen. I mean, come on, Peter, you're not even doing this right. If you, I mean, he was this close to him, and he cuts, off, he cuts off his ear. I mean, how many know that Peter had the Mike Tyson anointing? <laughs> how, how, many, how many know what I'm talking about there? Just look up a Vander Holyfield, and you'll, you'll understand. I mean, I mean can, you, can you imagine? He cuts, he cuts off the guy's ear. And now this was Malchus. This was the spokesperson for one of the most evil politicians of the time. This would be like the media represent, representation of whoever your most vilified politician is. And this person would always be spinning for the politician, always be lying for the politician, and was very much hated and trashed Jesus and trashed his disciples all the time. And this is one of the most hated uh, political people of the time, and I love Jesus. What did he do after Peter cut his ear off? He said, Peter, put up your sword. He reaches down, picks up the ear, puts it on Malchus, and heals him. Now, I don't know about you, but that is phenomenal. The most hated politician's spokesperson, Jesus picked up the ear. And first of all, that's a feat in and of itself, picking up an ear. Could I have an amen? Probably full of wax and all other kinds of things. <laughs> he puts it on Malchus, and it stays, and he can hear out of it. And this was for an enemy, helping anybody. Now Jesus is leaving the scene, and in Luke 22:36, he says, Now, guys, it's okay, buy a sword. Because it's all right to self-protect, not retaliate, but to self-protect. Uh, let me keep going. Look at John, John chapter 7 and verse 1. Jesus was under major persecution. And the Bible says in John 7, 1, he walked no more in Jewry because they wanted to take him. 
So Jesus didn't just go, okay, I'm just going to walk through uh, in Jesus' name, in my name, I'm going to walk through. He used wisdom and common sense to self-protect. Jesus did. How about Acts chapter 9, verse 25, where Paul at midnight was led over the wall with a basket. Paul was the New Testament basket case. <laughs> Moses was the Old Testament basket case. You're number three. And why, why did he do that? He did that to self-protect. Why do you lock your doors? To self-protect. That's okay. If you own firearms, that's okay. God has no problem with you self-protecting. Listen to me. If you break into my house, you try to hurt my wife or my kid, that's the last thing you're going to do. Now, I, before, before I send you on into eternity, I may try to win your soul to the Lord, but bye-bye. And that's not a sin. God has no problem with self-protection. So self-protection is a tug-of-war that's beautiful. Retaliation is a sin. See the tug-of-war. So how are we going to respond when life and people are unfair? We want to balance you out so that you see that well. Look at number eight. Check it out. Obedience is your job. The outcome is God's. Okay, it's Father's Day today. What's the Bible say about dads? Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. The Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And honor your father and mother. But say honor. How many know that's your job? That's obedience. The outcome is God's job. The God says if you do that, that it will go well with you and you'll live long on the earth. How many know we live in a culture that no longer honors? So, listen, if you'll do your job, that's obey God's word, the outcome is up to him. He won't do your job. You can't do his job. So what do you say when life and people are unfair? We just go ahead and do it God's way and leave the outcome up to him. And the Bible is full of how things will come out. And I'm going to trust that. Now, let me show this to you in a very powerful way. I'm going to close with this. Let me show you, ladies and gentlemen, how we're supposed to do things biblically when life or people are unfair. Are you ready? won't take long, but this will change your life, and it will free you up and mature you in a tremendous way. Number one, we're going to look at the disciples' transition because there was a transition. How many know in the Old Covenant there was a lot of retaliation? Let me try it again. How many know in the Old Covenant there was a lot of retaliation? But now the disciples are making a transition because Jesus is on the scene in the new covenant. And there's things that are now going to be handled differently when life or people are unfair. And let me give you the example. In Luke chapter 9, 51 through 56, you've got to read this when you get a chance. It's powerful. Here you've got Jesus, and the Bible says his face is steadfast to go to Jerusalem. So he's headed to Jerusalem. And the disciples go ahead and they stop in Samaria. And the Bible says there in Samaria, they did not receive the disciples. And so, in other words, they were not treated fairly. They were not treated right. These people were unkind to them. And I love their response. It gives all of us hope. The disciples said to Jesus, hey, they're not receiving us in Samaria. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven? How many know that's retaliation? Come on, how many know that's retaliation? And I love it. Listen now, before we get too mad at the disciples, they were simply reenacting the old covenant, where retaliation was what it's all about. From 2 Kings chapter 1, 9 through 16, you remember the story of a prophet by the name of Elijah? 
And, and you remember, there was a king uh, that was trying to capture Eli uh, Elijah, and he sent a captain with 50 guards to take away Elijah. Second Kings 1, 9 through 16, read it when you got a chance. I love this story. So here comes the captain. He's got his 50 guys with him, uh, and Elijah's up on the hill. He looks up at the hill. He says, hey, if you're a man of God, come on down. And he's very rude and very forceful about it. And I love Elijah's response. Elijah said, if I'm a man of God, let the fire of God consume you. And boom, here comes the original, you're fired. <laughs> Fifty guys plus the captain burned up just like that. King hears about it, sends another captain with 50 more guys. Come to the hill. Here's Elijah still up on the hill. He said, hey, if you're a man of God, come on down. Elijah said, if I'm a man of God, let the fire of God consume you. <laughs> Fifty-one guys toast. King tells another captain and another 50 guards, go after Elijah. This captain's got some sense. He goes up the hill, and he begs Elijah, Elijah, if you find our lives precious in your sight, will you please spare us? How many know that's a whole different attitude? This guy's not going to get fired. He's going to get a raise. And he loved the response, and Elijah went with him. So the disciples are simply reenacting the retaliation of the old covenant. You can understand why they were doing it. And here's Jesus' response. The disciples said, hey, should we call down fire from heaven and burn down this Sumerian sucker? <laughs> and Jesus said this, and I love this response. He said, you don't know what spirit that you are of. The Son of Man came not to destroy lives, but to save them. He's implying that that retaliation spirit is a spirit. You don't understand what spirit or manner that you're of. The Son of Man didn't come to destroy lives, but to save them. This is not about retaliation. This is about salvation. And Peter, who was one of that bunch, clearly learned his lesson on how to respond when life and people are unfair. And we find him writing in 1 Peter chapter 2, 20 through 23, verses we're going to look at and close with now. For what glory is it? If when you're buffeted, rapidzo in the Greek language means when you're struck, and this is a figurative language, when you're buffeted, for your faults, you shall take it patiently. Let me paraphrase what that means. What good is it when you're persecuted because you're a jerk? That's what he's saying. He's saying, well, if you did something wrong and, and it's your own fault, well, of course you're in trouble for it. Thank you for your enthusiasm. But, watch this now, when you do well and suffer for it, that's when life is unfair. That's when people are unfair. But when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. What a transition this disciple is making. You can see how much he is maturing. For even hereunto were you called. This is our calling, folks. We're not going to like this. This, is, again, is not self-empowerment. I'm not going to sell a lot of books with this teaching right here. But I'm telling you right now, for even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered. The Greek word pasco suffered in a very significant way. Suffered for us, leaving us an example. Everybody say an example. Yeah. 
The Greek word hupogrammos. Grammos, we get grammatics from. Hupo is under. Under grammatics. It literally is talking about a Greek word where a teacher is teaching a student how to spell. So they maybe spell out a W in, a, in an example so that a student can uh, copy that exactly. So that's what he's saying when he's saying, this is your example. This is something we're supposed to copy exactly. This is how we're supposed to do it when life or people are unfair because this is how our Lord did it. That you should follow his steps who did no sin, neither was guile, dolos in the Greek, trickery. The guy, Jesus did nothing wrong, said nothing wrong, but yet he still was treated unfairly. Who did no sin, neither was guile, found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, the Greek words means when he was vilified. When he was vilified, vilified not again. In other words, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he threatened not. You better not do this. But, now here's the great part. But committed himself to him that judges righteously. The word committed is the Greek word Perodidomai, uh, and it literally means to entrust in. When life is unfair, when people are unfair, God is telling you and I the way to handle it right is by entrusting God to judge righteously, entrusting the Father God. Listen to me very closely. We have a Father God that always judges righteously. We have a lawyer, 1 John 2, 1. Jesus is our advocate. He is our lawyer. That's what that Greek word means, an advocate. He is our lawyer. He has never lost a case. I discovered a long time ago when life and people are unfair, I am going to entrust my heavenly righteous father with it, that he will judge righteously that he will make it right, that he will make it fair. Therefore, I don't have to retaliate, and I believe that things will work out great because I am entrusting it to a God that knows how to make things right. Listen, all these years of ministry, we have a super large ministry. Are you kidding? It comes with the territory. I get criticized. Here's my personal stance, and I use those verses as my personal stance. When I'm being criticized or lied about, I never respond, never, unless it benefits you. Paul responded to the criticism of his apostleship because it benefited the Corinthians. If it only benefits me, I won't even respond. I won't say a word. I won't get online. I won't try to justify myself. I give it to the Lord. And I'm telling you, I've watched this over and over and over. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 19 that the word of a liar is for a moment, but the word of a righteous man shall prevail. I've seen it over and over and over. All you have to do is be on the side of truth. All you have to do is be on the side of right. All you, and you say, what's the side of right? God's side. I said, well, you know, I, I, God's on this side. God, I, listen, I don't, I, I don't know about that. All I, want, all I know is I want to find out what his word says, and I want to get on his side. And then as long as I'm on his side, he will justify. He will exonerate. He will vindicate. He will retaliate. 
Vengeance will be his. He'll make it righteous. He'll make it right. And I've seen him do it over and over and over and over. The critics always fade away, and the righteous are here to stay. Could I have an amen? So when life or people are unfair to you, what an opportunity to reveal your Christianity. We're not overcome of evil, but we're overcoming evil with good.